The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Welcome back, everybody. This is Squawk Box. Let's have a look at your headlines. The Dow surges 450 points in its best day since mid-July, supported by gains in defensive stocks as a jump in U.S. factory orders offsets a weaker-than-expected rise in private payrolls. Uh, China's services activity grows for the fourth straight month in August as employers ramp up hiring for the first time since January in a sign of a more sustained recovery for the sector. The French government prepares to outline a massive spending programme to combat the downturn, setting aside 100 billion euros to support the economy as virus cases surge across the country. Commerce Bank drops EY, saying it will not use the firm after 2022 due to the Wirecard accounting scandal that has rocked corporate Germany. So let's get into some of these headline stories. The Federal Reserve says growth in the U.S. is said to remain well below pre-pandemic levels as an uptick in coronavirus cases continues to hamper efforts to fully restart the economy. In its latest Beige Book report, the Fed stressed the recovery will remain uneven as industries like real estate and autos enjoy a strong rebound thanks to low interest rates. But commercial construction and agriculture continue to struggle to return to growth. Meanwhile, the U.S. private sector added 428,000 jobs in August, but sharply missed expectations. Big businesses dominated job creation, adding almost 3,000 jobs over the month, with leisure and hospitality the fastest-growing sector. The U.S. Congressional Budget Office expects the federal budget deficit to reach $3.3 trillion this fiscal year. That would mark the biggest shortfall since 1945 at 16% of GDP. The CBO is warning against suddenly halting borrowing, saying the record debt levels should be addressed at a more appropriate level. Uh, let's uh, tootle over to the wall, shall we? Should we go and have a look? Uh, and let's uh, just bring you up to date with uh, how we've performed uh, over the last uh, 24 hours here. And um, obviously the notable number is the 450 points that we saw added to the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Now that ultimately takes us back to where we were in February of 2020. So, you know, just Bear that in mind that even as this um, is an astonishing number in a single day gain, we were up uh, nearly 1.6% there. We are only effectively back to where we were uh, in February of this year. So it shows you the kind of round trip we've made to get the markets back to these kind of numbers. Astonishing nonetheless, given some of the data points that we talked about in the headlines there, not least that private sector on employment, the ADP number massively short of the expectation. We didn't give you the headline expectation, but Reuters consensus of economists was for 950,000 jobs to have been added. So the fact that we only saw 428,000 
has left some of the economists not only a little red-faced, but scratching their heads as to why the numbers are so far short of their expectations. Let's have a look at some of the uh, sectors that continue to show reasonably strong performance. Uh, We've popped up the Dow Jones transports for you here once again. We are now at the highest level for this particular sector since October of 2018. And I'll just remind you, old Dow theory suggests that this is a pretty good measure of economic strength or economic activity, given that it's trains and trucks and so forth. This shows you um, how much demand or economic activity there is in the uh, underlying economy. And the fact that we've got reasonable strength here is or should be encouraging for those slightly pink-faced economists that we were talking about. Um, Let's have a quick look at the treasuries, if we might just flip the wall here. And again, just worth noting uh, which sectors have been strong and which have been pulling back, because even as we had uh, what was a very strong close in the equity markets overnight, there was a little bit of profit-taking going on in some of the technology names and a rotation into some of those uh, value cyclical sectors, perhaps that taking a little bit of momentum out of the uh, the treasuries, which have uh, obviously been a place for safe haven purchasing. I do want to flag something else up for you as well. S&P had a very interesting report out overnight saying that they expect defaults to rise in speculative grade credits to 12.5% next year. Now, the June number was 5.4%. The market has taken a view that a lot of this very easy credit from the central bank will ultimately prevent many companies going to the wall. S&P suggesting actually the default numbers will gradually begin to rise. Um, Let's talk about where we are as far as uh, market technicals are concerned. Ron William joins us, market strategist at RW Advisory. And uh, Ron, very good morning to you. Interesting that you now think that we are at risk of a serious top for these markets. Yes, I am. And it's it's something uh, otherwise termed as a potential Minsky moment named after the famous economist. And and in the end, it's 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 when we least expect it, a surprise decline from very good uh, uh, speculative run up fueled by easy credit, as you just mentioned. Uh, um, well, let's spend a bit of time on that. W- what is it? essentially that convinces you that we are near this peak? Uh, I don't know whether you're seeing it as a double top or just an excess of euphoria at this stage, but clearly the underlying price action has been narrow in terms of market breadth, but it has been strong. So why are we now at a turning point? Yes, so I would say it's a number of of factors all clustering in at this moment in time. First and foremost, if we look at the price, as you mentioned, that it, there's a narrowing in of breadth, and this is this ongoing uh, story of Tech Street, Main, uh, Tech Street, Wall Street, and, and Main Street all diverging. Now, of course, tech, or the, the tech sector and the Nasdaq in particular, um, and Wall Street, Dow, and, and S&P 500 narrow their uh, their performance together um, of late. 
but if we look at the equal weighted uh, uh, index of the S&P 500, it's barely broken above its June peak and has actually been flatlining ever since. So we can see there the, the fantastic divergence, as I call it. Um, and then, of course, looking at the Russell 2000, uh, the, the broader index with some of those zombie companies uh, very much uh, looking the same in, in terms of equal weighted uh, on the S&P 500 below the June peak and, and actually lower. And particularly if we look outside of the US at the rest of the world, um, the UK here in this home base is actually quite negative and we, we've had a, a new range breakout uh, to the downside. Uh, so breadth is, is, is an issue. Uh, second thing is, if you look at um, uh, liquidity and volatility, it's quite interesting. Uh, ETF flows on the S&P 500 is at, is at a new record low. Um, and if we uh, take a look at the VIX, that's also been uh, in an interesting uh, uh, atypical uh, spike up as markets go up, uh, suggesting potential hedging for downside risk. So, Ron, are you suggesting that technology also starts to reverse at some point? If the overall S&P 500 is also going to face a decline, does that suggest tech's going to drop? And what size of a decline are you anticipating on the S&P? Yes, well, a Minsky moment suggests a, a, a sizable uh, decline or, or collapse, crash. Um, so anything in, in the ballpoint of, of at least 20 to 30%, if not more. Uh, but certainly this V-shaped recovery uh, would potentially be a false one um, and would lead into a rolling W uh, retest of the March crash low. So that would be around 2200 um, on the S&P 500 and various other uh, figures elsewhere. It's no big surprise. I, I think a, a lot of the prudent investors have been saying valuations are quite high. We're also approaching the negative seasonality of late um, August into early September. Um, I, I do warrant caution here because, I mean, this has worked uh, on, on most years. But this year, above all years, I mean, of course, because of the nature of this uh, a black swan year and, and VUCA environment that we're in. Uh, but more than that, we've got a cluster of cycles, the presidential cycle uh, turning negative into November. And we also have a, a big decennial cycle, which is also uh, down for this year. So there, there's a number of reasons why uh, the, the market uh, will be searching for pockets uh, for, to potentially correct. And also just on a very simple level, I mean, this would be healthy uh, as, as part of uh, the general market structure. Uh, where we could have a multi-year repair period uh, before that long-term bull uh, reappears again. Ron, it's amusing though, as we talk about market health, we don't exactly have a healthy market these days. Huge intervention at a fiscal and monetary level and already across the states, discussions are between Republicans and Democrats about finally delivering on that fiscal package. If there were to be one, what would that do to the market activity? Would that stop any uh, huge reversal that you're seeing on the charts? Yes, well, certainly market sentiment seems to be uh, poising it itself for some, some further lifeline support, either from the Fed or, or from uh, uh, government policy. And, and as I read between the lines as a technician and, and, and watch the sentiment, uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's less about who wins and more about uh, will they be able to get legislation through. So I think certainly the market's searching for a landslide win on either side. Uh, there is some suggestion of an uptick on, on Trump's side it, based upon uh, kind of social backlash with all, a lot of the uh, uh, challenges that are happening on the ground. Uh, but of course, that'll be widely debated closer to the time. The key thing is, 
um, who can win by a, a wide margin, um, and ultimately, can they get policy through the door? Um, and of course, that'll be in the US, but ac uh, across the rest of the world. I, I think the market's also searching further out into the timeline, uh, into the end of the year, and certainly the new year of 2021, uh, just to really ask the question, how sustainable is this market? And, and given that we're so elevated already, where do we go from here? Um, and so I, I think it's important, at, at the very least, to be thinking in terms of uh, uh, some kind of uh, uh, risk situation. Uh, gold has certainly been a uh, favored market uh, year to date. Um, and, and the targets there are 2,400 with a potential spike to 3,000. Um, so I think it's, it's good to also hedge uh, either with the options market, safe haven plays like gold, or maybe uh, some treasuries and cash. Ron, good to see you. Thanks very much for uh, updating us on your targets. Uh, we'll catch up on another day. Ron Williams, uh, market strategist for RW Advisory. A little bit of breaking news on uh, Zanoffi. Uh, this relates to uh, one of the promising candidates they have. They uh, describe this as a protein-based vaccine candidate or uh, a um, potential uh, COVID uh, vaccine. The preclinical studies show promising safety and immunogenicity. Uh, over 400 participants are being enrolled in a uh, study, an early stage study here. P pending positive data on that study, the companies say they aim to move into phase three by the end of 2020. Uh, Zanoffi and GSK are scaling up manufacturing of the antigen and uh, the uh, potential candidate with a target of producing up to 1 billion doses in 2021. Obviously, that gives us just a clearer sense of time frames for the current uh, Zanoffi candidate. Uh, let's talk about the opening calls. The expectation for the European session is that we will get a positive open on the back of what was uh, broadly a strong close in the United States in spite of uh, some of that weaker private sector data. Um, the uh, feel-good also emerging to a certain extent from some of the Chinese data that we've seen. And let's just show you uh, the mixed picture we've got on the Asian trading session at the moment. China has reported its fourth straight month of recovery in the key services sector. The Chaishin PMI number coming in at 54 in August. Here to break down the number for us, Sam. Good morning to you, Jeff. Well, this was actually a slight easing from July, but it's still very encouraging because it is still above that 50 mark and also because it actually showed, this survey showed uh, that companies hired more people in the month of August, really uh, adding to signs that the private and smaller firms in China are continuing uh, to bounce back from the impact of the coronavirus. Now, of course, we know that the service sector is a big generator of jobs in China. It accounts for around 60% of the economy, but it has been much uh, slower to recover than the manufacturing side of things because of these lingering worries about jobs uh, and pay, forcing many people to tighten their belts and purely just not go out. But things have been picking up lately, and you only have to look at those official numbers out earlier in the week that showed the services PMI uh, did grow at a much faster pace in August, dr driven uh, largely by domestic demand picking up speed in things like travel, hotels, accommodation, and catering. So this services sector uh, is really 
really now offering a bright spot in this economic recovery, but you really do need to look beyond the headline number under the hood and look at the breakdown to really understand what is going on here. As I mentioned, the Taishin survey did show that firms expanded uh, their workforce in August after six months of layoffs, uh, really thanks to some of that pickup in domestic demand, but also uh, new orders uh, increasing, signaling that employment is really uh, perhaps starting to recover now after being hit really hard. We know that jobs have been a big focus for the government, but in terms of what we're seeing here and actually where these jobs are, economists have told me that some of these migrants that actually lost their jobs earlier in the year when the virus uh, broke out uh, in the manufacturing sector uh, have actually picked up work now in the tourism sector uh, thanks to China, uh, its domestic travel picking up. Of course, we've just uh, come out of the summer holidays, so that uh, is really an encouraging sign. Now, of course, we also saw cinemas across China uh, opening in the month of August, and that uh, would have likely have really helped the services sector and some of these jobs as well. But economists have also said uh, that some of this fiscal stimulus is helping. We have seen, of course, this boost in infrastructure spending by the Chinese government, uh, which is being used to sort of mitigate some of these external challenges. And so when you have a lot of construction going on, you need workers. And so uh, when you have a job, uh, you're more likely to go out and spend your money. So while domestic demand is holding up well, though, uh, this survey did show that there are still uh, uncertainties around overseas demand with new export businesses remaining in negative territory, albeit at a slower pace. So I think, you know, overall, when you look at all this PMI uh, that we've seen out uh, during uh, this week, it really does show that this uh, recovery is being domestically driven more than export driven. Back to you guys. Terrific, Sam. Thanks so much for that. Uh, Well, do apps endanger sovereignty and territorial integrity? India thinks so. And New Delhi has now banned more than 100 Chinese apps. Arjun will be with us to talk about the implications of that latest move. Plus, we're going to speak with Sweden's candidate for the OECD Secretary General's job. Cecilia Malmström will be up for a first-on interview at 8.30 CET. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music and Google Podcasts. Welcome back. The U.S. has announced further restrictions on Chinese diplomats. These include requiring permission for university visits and external events with more than 50 people. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said the moves are aimed at responding to similar limitations on American officials in China. India has cited security concerns for banning another 118 apps linked to China, including a popular Tencent video game, Alipay and Baidu. Let's get out to Arjun for more. Arjun, we're talking about a huge number of apps here, not just one or two major ones. It uh, suggests that there are concerns around dealing with Chinese technology companies from the Indian side. 
But many are concerned that this is just down to simmering border issues and now technology has been cited uh, as uh, those concerns linger across the border. What can you tell us about uh, what's playing out behind the scenes here? Certainly. I mean, you're right, Karen, in the backdrop, you've got these uh, rising tensions between the two nations over the border issue. Uh, and that's something that's certainly playing in the background. Again, just broader geopolitical tensions between the two countries and a similar theme to US and China, really, where you've got technology caught in the crosshairs and all of this. And the Ministry of, of Electronics and Information Technology came out and they said the reason for banning these apps was because they claimed that these apps engage in what they call prejudicial uh, activity, the sovereignty and integrity of, of India. They also say and they claim that this, these apps are taking Indian user data and transferring it to servers abroad. Again, it's a similar kind of argument the US has made uh, as well. They also allege that these apps collect user data and use it in what they call a surreptitious manner. So a lot of this is around user data. They're, they're framing it in a way that makes it appear this is a, an issue around data, around national security really as well. And it's an, interesting to look at what apps precisely are on this list because yes, you've got uh, some of the big names, the likes of Alipay, for example, run by Ant Group. You've also got WeChat Work run by Tencent. Uh, and also you've got Baidu app on there as well. Now, really, these aren't in any way huge apps in India. These are basically made for the Chinese market. They're just available in the app store there. So they don't really have a big following. What really is, I think, the concern here and for the companies involved is the gaming side and specifically two companies, Tencent and NetEase. One of Tencent's hit games, PUBG, which is massive, uh, has actually been banned as part of this latest round. In all of those 118 apps, that's the highest grossing app uh, in that entire list. So that's a big blow for Tencent. And you've also got some of NetEase's games there as well. I think speaking more broadly, to the Chinese tech sector here. India has been seen as a very critical market for these companies to expand outside of China. They've been making investment in startups there. They've been trying to plug things like games and app services there as well. And I think this latest move is really a big dent in the ambition of many Chinese tech firms in what is seen as a very critical market. Guys, back to you. Uh, there's no easy resolution here. If we look at through the lens of TikTok, which is in the process of selling its US assets, but then Beijing has now stepped in and seemingly stalled the process by banning the sale of certain technology. What happens here? Because I know the bankers are trying to come up with various solutions, but it does require a lot of work for any potential buyer to come up with an algorithm for China to change its mind on the sale of some of this technology. So just walk us through how the TikTok US issue could be resolved as the time is ticking down to the 20th of September when it won't be able to do business there. There appears to be at the moment, Karen, a few options on the table. The latest report coming from Reuters overnight suggesting that one option is for TikTok to sell its business, but without the algorithm. And that's a very interesting option because the algorithm really is the crown jewels, the secret source, as it were, behind uh, the TikTok app and how it's become so popular. And that's an option perhaps that won't be, uh, you know, very sort of uh, advantageous or seen as advantageous in any way by the bidders for TikTok. The other option is for the perhaps to negotiate uh, with the U.S. authorities on some sort of a tech transfer deal. Again, is that something China and TikTok will be willing to do? Another big question mark. Another option will be for the U.S. and the bidders to seek approval from the Chinese government to uh, give the license, etc. So again, another option. Will that be something that the companies and even the U.S. government will be willing to do? And finally, ByteDance could seek a license uh, uh, for, or seek to license the algorithm out 
to whoever buys the company. That would be beneficial for ByteDance because they'd be getting some licensing revenues. Question is, will it be something, again, the bidders in the US government will be able to stomach? As it stands right now, it feels there's a few options on the table, probably even more than that. None of them appear to be able to satisfy all of the parties at once. Arjun, terrific. We'll wrap it up on that. Thanks so much for joining us. Airbnb has rejected an approach from Bill Ackman's recently listed blank check company to take the home rental firm public. This, according to multiple reports, Ackman raised about $4 billion when he listed his special acquisition company, or SPAC, in New York with the mission of taking over a, quote, mature unicorn. Talks have ended between the two sides, but a future deal has reportedly not been ruled out. Intel has unveiled the 11th generation of its flagship Tiger Lake laptop chip as the U.S. tech company looks to recoup market share from rival Apple. CEO Bob Swan has told CNBC the PC world is rapidly changing. The technologies required to build a computer today are much different than they than they've used they used to be. An example with Tiger Lake, it's not just about the CPU or the microprocessor, but it's about the Wi-Fi. I mean, connectivity is so important. So upgrading Wi-Fi, upgrading graphics capabilities, the nature of the PC today and how it's evolved incorporates much more uh, technology. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.